So we uh, continue going through a series that's titled uh, God's Desired Future for Exeter Christian Reformed Church. And as we do, uh, we're going through a journey of asking four questions. And again, those four questions, you can read them in the bulletin. I think they're on the screen here as well. And uh, they are, why do we exist? How do we behave? What do we do? And how will we succeed? Now, for the past two weeks, and this week again, we're going to remain on the second question, how do we behave? And this challenges us to ask, what is important to us as a church? It's not that it's, I mean, it is important to us as a church, but first and foremost, it's important to God, and he desires it to be important to us as well. And it challenges us to ask ourselves, what, what's important? What are our core values? Two weeks ago, we referred to Micah 6, verse 8. As a church loving mercy, acting justly, and walking humbly with our God. We brought up an easy slogan to remember. Reach up, reach in, reach out. Reach up to our God, reach into one another, reach out to all God's people. Very easy. Last week, we referred to Ephesians 4.32. We heard these words in our time of confession and assurance as well. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. And this passage referred to what we called Christ-centered forgiveness. When we are wronged, we forgive the person without necessarily having them repented and even coming to us to say, I'm sorry. Just as Christ forgives us and extends grace and forgiveness to us without us first coming to him, that's how we're called to extend grace and forgiveness to others. And it's costly. Now, throughout the message last week, I kept referring often to the second part called for reconciliation, and said a few times, I kept pointing to, oh, we'll hear about it sometime down the road. I realized after the message that I said this phrase so often that I thought this week better be down the road. So we're going to have a sermon today on reconciliation following last week's forgiveness. So today we continue to pursue how we behave and what's important to us as a church body. And as we do, again, we're going to be talking about reconciliation we're going to be reading from uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21. And some of you might be thinking, hey, I remember Kevin preaching that passage in October 2019, right? Of course you recall. But we're going to focus on somewhat a, a different angle on this passage this morning, a different perspective. So before we read from 2 Corinthians 5, let's pray. Father God, as we read from your word, may our hearts be open to your Holy Spirit to your Holy Spirit speaking to us through these ancient words, prodding us, encouraging us, comforting us, challenging us. Bless the reading and the message that follows so that each of us, and myself included, can grow closer to you and closer to one another. And it's only in the powerful and mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen. 2 Corinthians five sixteen through 21. It's going to be on the screen as well. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us. The message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, 
as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I appreciate looking at the Reformed theology from the perspective, and you've heard me say this before, how God initiates, we respond. From the perspective of what, has God, what God has done for us, and out of thanksgiving and gratitude and joy, how we can respond to God. Firstly, from last week's message from Ephesians, we again were reminded how God first forgave us. God initiates, and he calls us to respond by entering into a relationship with him and by forgiving others. And here we have it in this passage, 2 Corinthians 5, we see again that God initiates. As we read in verse 19, that God has reconciled himself through Christ to us. And he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. God has reconciled us. And then he calls us to respond as Christ's ambassadors. Living out lives of reconciliation. And we're called to do that as individuals and as a church body. Forgiveness is important to God. And as a community of God's people, it should be important to us. Reconciliation is important to God. And that too, as a church body, a community of God's people should be important to us. And these are important for several reasons. But one reason is because forgiveness and reconciliation also have to do with the unity of the body. The unity of the community. Forgiveness and reconciliation have to do with how we biblically deal with conflict in our lives, in our church body. Recall a familiar line from Scripture in Matthew 18.20, where Jesus states, where, For where two or three gathered in my name, there I am with them. Now, we will often use this phrase for referring to worship, and that's fine. Where two or three are gathered, I'm there. And we'll use that, this passage reminding us that Jesus is present wherever people are gathered in his name. This passage is not in the context of worship in Matthew 18. It's rather in the context of community and in the context of conflict. So yes, where two or three are gathered, Jesus is present. Where two or three are gathered, there is community. And when there's community, there's also conflict. Because conflict's inevitable. The response is up to us. Our response is not to sweep conflict under the rug. Our response is to deal with it it in a healthy, biblical way. Finding out, again, as Ephesians 5.10 says, finding out what pleases the Lord. Because dealing with conflict properly not only pleases the Lord, but leads to better relationships and to evangelism. Maybe we can look at conflict like a wall. Conflict creates walls between people. Forgiveness tears down that wall, and yet when the wall is torn down, the debris remains, and the debris needs to be cleaned up. And this is what Scripture refers to as reconciliation. Reconciliation is cleaning up where it was messed up. 
Reconciliation is a process. Reconciliation is a journey. Reconciliation is the process of a change in attitude that results in the change of restoration in relationships. Maybe not to what it once was, but there is some sort of restoration. Reconciliation takes two. As we discovered last week, ideally, forgiveness would involve two parties. But Christ-centered forgiveness may only involve one party. Initially, only one person needs to be involved in forgiveness. Beyond that, though, one person cannot be reconciled. Reconciliation involves more than one. Again, the debris needs to be cleaned up, and it cannot be cleaned up by only one. Reconciliation is a deliberate effort. It needs to be intentional in order to restore relationships. Forgiveness doesn't necessarily restore relationships. Reconciliation will not be done on its own. Time does not heal all wounds. Time does not equal reconciliation. Action heals wounds. Forgiveness and then reconciliation heals wounds. Through Christ... God is reconciled to us. As verse 20 says, be reconciled to God. So God is reconciled to us. God initiates. And verse 20, we respond, be reconciled to God. Reconciliation takes two. It demands a response from us. For reconciliation to be in place, to take place, we have to respond to God. God's already responded to us. He's initiated, but we need to respond. And we have to respond to one another. Now, reconciliation does not mean that the person must be your best friend. It doesn't mean that the relationship should be such that it's, it's going to uh, be completely restored, as I said, to, to what it was. Maybe it can no longer be what it originally was. But the debris needs to be cleaned. The debris in reconciliation has been cleared. The goal of forgiveness is freedom through Christ. The goal of reconciliation needs to be the recovery of unity, not the discovery of fault. Because God's more concerned about unity than about finding fault. When we first talk about reconciliation, we first talk about God. As Paul states in verse 18, all this is from God. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. In verse 19, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. What an awesome God we have, not counting our sins against them. Against them, rather. God is a God of community. And we tend to be community breakers. Simply because we don't often deal with conflict biblically. God intentionally and deliberately took action to restore his relationship with us. Was God angry at us before our reconciliation took place? Yeah, he was. Paul's letter to the church in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, we were by nature objects of wrath. Sounds pretty angry. Romans 5.10, we read, for if while we were God's enemies, 
we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? God initiated reconciliation by sending his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to be sin for us. Verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God sent his son, Jesus, to reconcile our relationship between God and us. We have been reconciled. We are no longer objects of wrath. We're no longer God's enemies. In fact, we are righteous before God on account of God's amazing grace and his amazing act of reconciliation. All this is from God people of God, we have been reconciled. And because it takes two, we need to respond. We need to respond to God in faith, to respond to him in faith and obedience. Be reconciled to God. Paul used the word, I implore you, be reconciled to God. When God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. As we read in this passage, God sees righteousness, Christ's righteousness on you. Not our own, it's from Christ. And I don't think we fully understand what all this means, what it meant for for God to come down to this earth, to empty himself out, as Philippians 2 states, to be empty and to, to walk on this earth, this sinful world, to walk, make that walk to the cross, and to die a sinner's death. All our sins have been put onto Jesus. He has taken God's wrath on him. And on the cross, Jesus takes all our sins. Because of the cross, we take on God's righteousness. Again, on the cross, Jesus takes all our sins. Because of the cross, we take on God's righteousness. The passage this morning reminds us of God's reconciling love through Christ. As mentioned, it is firstly about God extending reconciliation to us. God initiates. Secondly, God has passed on this reconciliation to his people. We respond. And we're called to respond, as this passage says, as ambassadors of reconciliation. We're called to be Christ's ambassadors of reconciliation. Verse 20. Now, an ambassador is a representative of of a ruling authority. An ambassador is a high-ranking diplomat who uh, represents a nation or a government. And often an ambassador is in another country living at the embassy and represents his or home, her home country in a foreign land. As verse 20 states, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. We are called to respond as being Christ's ambassadors of reconciliation. When we are called to be Christ's ambassadors, we represent our God. Our God who is in heaven. He has the full authority. He's the king. He's the ruler. He's reigning. And we represent God on this earth. And as his people, as his ambassadors, ambassadors of reconciliation, we are called to extend grace. We're called to extend the ministry of grace and reconciliation. And this ministry, as I said, it's costly, it's risky. And it's in areas that might be foreign to us, as ambassadors are not always in their home territory. It's in Ken Sand's book, it's titled The Peacemaker, A Biblical Guide to Resolving Personal Conflict. 
Sands refers to pursuing reconciliation at three levels. And he uses this passage to support that. He refers to pursuing reconciliation through thoughts, deeds, and words. So as Christ's ambassadors, representing God here on this earth, we can glean this pursuit of reconciliation in thought, deed, and word. We glean it from this passage as Paul wrote to the Corinthians. The first level of reconciliation that Sand refers to is our thoughts. Paul states right up front in verse 16, no longer regard anyone from a worldly point of view. He's saying don't think like the world. And how would the world often think? Probably the opposite of reconciliation. Worldly thought would probably be the best thing to do is to hold grudges, to not be forgiven, to seek revenge maybe, and even pay back. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And Paul tells us not to think of people from a worldly view. Because he says that we are new creations in Christ. And when we are new creations, then we can also see others as new creations in Christ. Be new creations and relate to people as new creations. God desires us to be his ambassadors who think reconciliation. When thoughts other than reconciliation enter our mind, think of Luke 6, where Jesus states, But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Love your enemies. Pray for those who mistreat you. Our thoughts are to be centered towards Christ, as difficult as that may be, because this this passage here in Luke is hard. But go in prayer and lift people up in prayer. Lift yourself up in prayer. Doing this will reduce frustrations. It will reduce anger. It will reduce bitterness. Prayer will assist us in the process of reconciliation. And this is important in the area of reconciliation. And then as Paul also states in his... uh, Letter in Philippians 4, verse 8. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. As ambassadors of Christ, don't think from a worldly point of view, but think from a godly point of view. Think as Philippians 4 Verse 8 says, think about such things that's listed there. The first level of reconciliation is our thought. Secondly, as ambassadors of Christ, we pursue reconciliation through our deeds. It's in verse 18 where Paul refers to God giving us. He gives us the ministry of reconciliation. This is the service of reconciliation. This is the deeds acting out reconciliation. God, having been reconciled to us, leads to our reconciliation with others. C.S. Lewis, in his book titled Mere Christianity, says, don't waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you do. As soon as we do this, we find one of the greatest secrets. When you are behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love them. End quote. Thomas Edison was the inventor of the light bulb. And uh, the story goes, of course, that 100 hours went into his work. And when he is, and his team had put all this together, 
for the first light bulb, he had asked an errand boy to take the finished light bulb upstairs to the testing room. And as the boy took it, he stumbled and fell, and that newly invented light bulb shattered into a thousand pieces. Instead of rebuking the boy, Edison reassured the boy. The team got together and began work on another bulb. Several days later, the bulb was finished again, and Edison demonstrated an act of forgiveness and reconciliation in a powerful way. He gave the bulb to the boy again and asked him to take it to the testing room. You see, our response, our reaction, our behavior reflects our love. So as ambassadors of Christ, we pursue reconciliation through our deeds. Our thoughts must be Christ-like, and reconciliation must be followed through with our actions, our proper behavior. That's the second level of reconciliation, our deeds. Finally, as ambassadors of Christ, we pursue reconciliation through our words. Paul says it in verse 19 that Jesus has committed to us the message, the message of reconciliation. The message of reconciliation refers to our words, and more so, though, the gospel words. Our words are important. When we catch ourselves talking negative about people, we just need to stop. When we talk negative, it works against the message of reconciliation. Our negative talk works against the gospel of reconciliation. You want to know a powerful way to destroy unity? Talk bad about the church and her people. Guaranteed, it's a unity breaker. So we are called as as a church, as a body, as God's people, to bring words of reconciliation to those who have wronged us. We bring words of reconciliation to those we have wronged. And not just to the easy ones, but the difficult ones. As Scripture says, love your enemies. It's tough stuff. As ambassadors of Jesus, we bring the message of reconciliation to others. We reflect the gospel of reconciliation to others. And by doing so, we reflect a God of reconciliation. Learning what it means that our God reconciled himself to us. And learning how to reconcile one another to one another. And all this is mission. We improve our ability to tell others about reconciliation to God through Christ. Josh McDowell, he's a youth pastor and author. And he shares his story of reconciliation. As a teenager on the family farm, Josh McDowell loved his mother and despised his father, in his words, more than anyone else in the world. His friends would joke about his dad being drunk, and it tore him up inside. Quote, I hated my father for the shame his alcoholism called my family and caused my family, end quote. McDowell relates, I also resented what it caused him to do to my mother. I'd go out into the barn and see my mother beaten so badly she couldn't get up, lying in the manure beside, behind the cows. Eventually his mother lost the will to live and died, Josh says, of a broken heart. It was in college that Josh met some followers of Jesus whom he liked. 
And he was skeptical, skeptical about Christianity. But he was challenged by his friends to examine scriptural claims regarding Jesus. And he found it convincing. Josh confesses flaws to God and asked Jesus Christ to enter his life and to take over his life. Josh thanked Jesus for reconciling him and for dying for him. And soon he realized he no longer hated his father. Josh says, I had confessed to God my feelings for my dad, asked God to forgive me, and prayed that I could forgive. And it happened as quickly as I asked. It doesn't always happen that way, but it did in this case. No longer was my dad a drunk to be hated. Now I saw him as a man who had helped give me life. I called him and told him two things I'd never told him before. Dad, I've become a Christian. Dad, I love you. On another occasion, Josh's dad asks, but how? How can you possibly love a father like me? Josh, he used his thoughts. He used his deeds. He used words. And he explained how to place his faith in Christ. And his father made the decision to also do that. Again, reconciliation leads to mission. About 14 months later, his alcohol-ravaged body gave out and his father died. But the changed life of the town alcoholic influenced scores of people to place their lives in God's hands. Josh's dad became a new creation in Christ in those last 14 months of his life on earth. His life was brand new. Josh went on to state, his relationship with me and with God were both reconciled. Reconciliation leads to mission. We are ambassadors of Jesus called to commit to the message of reconciliation. People of God, our words are important. Gospel words are important. And our words are that third level of reconciliation. So brothers and sisters in Christ, friends, God has forgiven us. We're no longer people of wrath. We're no longer God's enemies. He has reconciled us through our Lord Jesus Christ. And in fact, we know what we're no longer. We also know what we are. We are new creations in Christ. We are ambassadors proclaiming reconciliation through our thoughts, deeds, and words. And so may our thoughts and our deeds and our words reflect the gospel message of reconciliation so others too can know our God of reconciliation. May our community be restored. And may our community have unity through the power of Jesus Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit at work in his people and in his church. And together we say, Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, we give to you our humble and hearty thanks that you and your great mercy have given us your Son to be our Savior from sin. As we've heard from your word that we're called to be ambassadors of Jesus, and it's a challenging task, it's a costly task, but Lord, we take some time now to ask that you work a spirit of reconciliation in each of us. Not only in the person sitting next to us, but in our hearts. Through the power of Jesus' Spirit, we pray that you work in our thoughts, in our deeds, in our words, so that as you work through us, we may be part of the process of reconciliation in our lives and in the life of your church. 
Lord, set us free through the power of your Spirit. Set us free because you first have forgiven us and you first have reconciled us. And you have passed this to us as your ambassadors, bringing healing to us through your amazing grace. It's only in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.